So this is Ed Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer, and uh, I'm actually, while you're listening, I'm on a plane. I'm on a plane from London heading back to the U.S. to spend the rest of the year here. Um, I've actually been been living in the U.K. for the last few months, uh, teaching at Wycliffe Hall at Oxford University, but have just finished up the class, jumped on a plane. So this is a pre-recorded. Normally we don't do pre-recorded, unless it's a holiday, but uh, but today we're having a pre-recorded uh, conversation. So we're not taking your calls, but we are having a great conversation. So I want to encourage you to, uh, I don't know, nestle up to the radio, whatever it might be. Increasingly, many of you listen via the podcast because you can listen then whenever you want to. You can go to edstetzerlive.com, uh, subscribe to the podcast, all kinds of Moody Radio podcasts with the Moody Radio app and more. So let me tell you, we, we're kind of having a strategy up to the next few weeks of Christmas. So you might say, is your strategy talk about Christmas? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, Tim Larson, he's written the or edited the Oxford Handbook of Christmas, is our guest on Christmas Eve. And so that'll be a great conversation, fascinating conversation. But leading up to that, I've asked some people to come on to talk about, uh, and we're going to engage the Christmas conversation some, but more talking about Scripture. So, and why might that be? Well, I know that for many of us, January is a time of uh, resolutions, right? So, you know, exercise more, you know, spend more time with family, whatever it may be. But it's also a natural time to begin a pattern and habit of engaging the Scripture. And so uh, so we're going to talk first with our guest today. Next week, Josh Laxton, pastor of Northland Church, formerly uh, on staff with us here at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. He's going to be talking about um, a devotional, and men specifically is written a devotional for men to be more faithfully engaging the Scriptures. Uh, then, of course, is Christmas Eve, and then Trillia Newbell is going to join me at the end of the month on New Year's Eve itself to talk about uh, Bible reading strategy into the next year. So we're, we're, there's an intentionality over the next few weeks, and today's guest, guest fits right into that, and the timing of his new book is super as well. So we're going to talk to Andrew Abernathy. You can call him Andy, but we're going to talk to Andrew Abernathy today. He's a professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College uh, and Graduate School. So we work together. We're actually recording this in the basement of uh, Billy Graham Hall in our, in our studio here. He's the author of actually five books, but the most recent one just out is newly released. It's called Savoring Scripture, A Six-Step Guide to Studying the Bible. There's a lot of S's in that, Andy. Um, but uh, studying the Bible, we're going to talk about the difference between reading and studying in just a minute. But uh, Andrew's wife, Katie, live here in Wheaton. They have three kids, and he plays hoops. He's tall, by the way. We should adjust the microphones. Uh, and having lightsaber battles with his kids. I like that. I, my kids are a little older, so we don't have lifesaver battles. When you have 20-something kids, you have long conversations, which is fun in its own sense as well. So thank you, Andy, for joining us. Yeah, great to be on here with you, Ed. Well, good. You know, of course, you know, Moody Radio, just the, the long tradition of Moody Bible Institute, just a great love for the Scriptures. And um, we're going to talk some about this, but one of the things that we're leading up to is I'm really trying to encourage people, and you can start now, um, to read and study the Bible. But there's actually, um, when I teach engaging the Bible, I talk about reading it, I talk about studying it, I talk about memorizing it, I talk about meditating on it, and those tend to be different things. So if you're not reading the Bible at all, to our listeners, that's the place to start. It's a great place to start. And uh, then you begin to take in parts of the scriptures, but then studying the Bible is actually a bit different than reading the Bible. It requires, well, talk to, I mean, you you're, you wrote Savoring Scripture, a yeah. six-step guide to studying the Bible. How is studying and reading related? Let's start there. 
Well, I, first of all, I think you're onto something that within most evangelical churches, the common mantra is you need to read your Bible, you need to read your Bible, you need to read your Bible. And uh, some years ago, my dad, who became a Christian when he was in his late 30s or early 40s, had been reading the scriptures for 20 years at that point. He, he turns to me as a Bible prof. He said, you know, I read the Bible, but I really have no clue what I'm doing. Mm. And uh, can you recommend a book <laughs> for me? And uh, as Ed knows, it, when you get put on the spot to think of a resource, you start cycling through all the many books you know of. And my mind immediately uh, was saying, there is no book out there for you that I can think of. Now, certainly there are, but the ones I'm aware of tend to be more focused on the academic side of things, uh, a chance to kind of learn how to read a passage of Scripture and study it according to its original context. Um, But I knew that creates a distance in a way between you as a reader and uh, the Bible and you and God. You're kind of more looking at the Bible as a objective kind of um, ancient historical text that you're trying to understand. Uh, and I knew those resources, which are the typical resources produced uh, out of you know biblical studies, the field I'm in, um, wasn't going to quite give my dad what he needed. But then my mind went to other books that are maybe a bit more practical and spiritually inclined, but they're missing, you know, some of those elements from the academic study of God's Word that can really, really benefit people. So um, in my book, Savoring Scripture, I've tried to bring together some realms of reading and studying the Scriptures that are often kept kind of separate. These realms of trying to read the Bible, yes, according to what it would have meant in its original context. God inspired it and intended it to communicate in an original context, but also recognizing how our living God wants to speak to us today and meet us where we're at. And so I blend together uh, kind of the best of biblical studies and spiritual formation, hopefully in a book that my dad will, <laughs> right, will appreciate, that's that's a great will appreciate and, yeah. and enjoy. So, um, and, and I think the difference Ed's hinting at between reading the Bible and then studying it, uh, when you're trying to study the Bible, you, you're giving yourself a bit more time to dwell in depth in a passage and really trying to unpack what that passage is trying to say in its original context and and so forth. But what I want to just say is, over time, once you develop those skills in studying the Bible, it will begin to feel like reading the Bible. Mm. It's kind of like when... So so when I was in sixth grade, Ed, did you ever hear about a thing called Cotillion when you were growing up? Yes, I did. I I went to the Cotillion. Yeah, yeah. I went to a Cotillion when I I grew up. And, and, you know, it's kind of this place, fifth, sixth grade, they make you wear a suit and you kind of learn some dance Oh, there was like like prep for, I had to take classes before it, it was prep school I was in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, imagine you're learning some dance steps and, and it just feels super awkward, right? And you, you feel like you're like studying dance moves and how to <laughs> ask a girl to dance with you. And it, it's all very 
formalized, but but I'd imagine I didn't stick with cotillion for very long. Right. That that eventually uh, you'll move from just you know um, kind of being really analytical about what you're doing to it becomes second nature, and, and I think that um, would be. Uh, one of my goals with savoring scripture is, is hey, I, I'm giving six vantage points to keep in mind as you're reading scripture. But over time, you're going to be able to improv in light of what works for you in a given day and um, be able to feel like you are uh, reading scripture, even though uh, it's built upon principles of studying scripture. Oh, that's so good. That's so good and helpful. And um, so, so I, I, I sometimes explain, you know, I was, I was teaching, last time I preached through the book of Matthew, I was the interim uh, teaching pastor at Moody Church in Chicago, and I got, I was going through um, the very first two chapters of Matthew, and I don't remember how many messages I was in, and I said, you know, there's something going on here that requires a little more study. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, look at how Matthew starts, and then look how we see the Old Testament start. And look at mm-hmm. how, so Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and the people of God for 40 years. And, and that way before that, you know, Jesus down in Egypt, and out of Egypt he's called. And I, and I said, so this is not an accident, and you might not have noticed this, mm-hmm. but one of the things I try to emphasize, because I want people to realize that, um, now I'm not the Bible scholar that you are. I mean, you're, you're, I'm, my field's a different field. But I love the Bible. And I say to them, just so you know, you could see the parallels. I mean, yeah. Matthew's doing this on purpose in any Bible commentary. So I just tell him any Bible commentary, but that takes a different level. You got to move from reading it and kind of noticing is Matthew trying to do something related to mm. Jesus and Israel to actually saying, what's he trying to do? And then you, you get a Bible commentary and you see that it goes on throughout the whole book of Matthew. Mm. Matthew's written to a Jewish audience, he's trying to do these things. So, but it does require engaging at a different level. Yeah. Yeah. That most people, I think, will love when they do, but maybe are a little intimidated to begin. Yeah. And that's why yeah. I think savoring scripture is a guide to studying, and maybe that's what people need. Is and, and I'm, I'm thankful you wrote it, and I want to talk some about that exhortation to study. So, what would you say to the? And I, we're going to walk through the the six steps, if you will, uh, sticks the the guide that you give. But what would you say to the person right now is like? I'm intimidated. I'm just barely reading the Bible. How can I study it? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I, I think one, one way to think about this is, you know, um, my, we, I had a pastor who, who once said, anything worth doing is worth doing even poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think another way to put, put it is, what's your experience like now as you read the Bible? Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself feeling a sense of being lost and kind of mystified by what these passages are saying? I, I think the common approach in the church is really a Ouija board type approach to mm. reading scripture. It, you kind of like hover over a passage and you really your brain isn't really switched on and you're just kind of hoping for something to maybe pop out at you and then all of a sudden that's God's word speaking to you. But But you have a kind of a sense that, man, I, there's a real gap here. So I would maybe just press into that sense of you're hungry for more, and here's some opportunities to take some steps in that direction. And if I go back to the dancing um, image before, um, you can imagine that 
just prepare yourself. When you start trying to apply these uh, steps or suggestions I give you, it's going to take a little time to find your rhythm. It's going to feel more like effort, whereas maybe before you've been reading Scripture and it's just always felt kind of easy or smooth. But, but just because it feels hard doesn't mean it's un, not spiritual. Um, God, there's something to the way that God's given us Scripture in a way that He invites us in to struggle and wrestle with what His Word is saying. And so view it as an invitation to wrestle with the Lord and His Word and trust that He's going to meet you there just like He met uh, Jacob on his way to the promised land. Love it, love it. We're going to continue our conversations with Andy Abernathy in just a minute. We're talking about his new book, Savoring Scripture, a six-step guide to studying the Bible. Stay with us as we continue this important conversation. As believers in Jesus, we know our citizenship on earth is actually temporary, but the days can be challenging navigating a world in cultural decline. A.W. Tozer brings help and encouragement in his book, Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. He tackles the how-to of confronting and battling worldliness while we live in anticipation of heaven. Be better equipped to take on each day. Read Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. Your copy is at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer. I don't know if I mentioned the top of the hour. I serve at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, and I am a professor and dean at Wheaton College. And so it's great to have a colleague. And so he has made his way over on a Saturday to our studio here. We're very thankful uh, for this. So this book is like brand, brand new. It's like at the time this comes out, it's been out like 10 days. So brand new. Um, and it's called Savoring Scripture, a six-step guide to studying the Bible. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I think one of the reasons people study the Bible is, like I, I mentioned the Matthew contrasts, you know, Israel and Jesus, and that's like, I want more. Sometimes it's, I don't get it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, I don't understand what this, how does this passage relate to this passage? What does this passage mean? And I think that's a worthy motivation to study the Bible as well. So that may be where you start, but if you just go there, you're just looking up the difficult passages. Yep. So you give a more comprehensive approach, which I like. And again, it's a six-step guide to studying the Bible, saving Scripture. So let's just, if you don't mind, talk about, and you've kind of cheated because there's steps 3A and 3B, so we'll talk <laughs> about that. But but if you don't mind, and it'll take a few minutes, but I think it'll be worth helpful, helpful to our listeners, just go through those steps, and then we'll start coming back to them. Okay. Yeah, sure. So uh, my six steps... The first one begins with posture, thinking about how, as we come to Scripture, that the way we position our hearts before the Lord um, is going to position us well uh, to receive from uh, the Lord and what He might have for us. And we'll come back to this. Uh, The second one relates to flow, and the idea behind flow is that each individual passage you're studying um, God has not just inspired individual verses or an individual word in there, but that these verses and words are part of an entire flow of what a passage is trying to say. So trying to understand um, the flow of thought in a passage in light of its genre. Uh, the, you wouldn't the, mind just touch on genre, though, before you go from flow, because that, oh, it's a word that yeah, we don't yeah, normally use. Yeah, for sure. So genre uh, just means um, like a type a type of literature. Even on iTunes, you could pick out your favorite genre of music that you want to listen to. And, and so, 
So, you know, narratives, poetry, law, epistles, they're, they're all different genres Good, that helpful. might have different Good. So strategies. posture, flow, sorry to take you off on that, but just, yeah. that's not a word most people use. Posture, flow, what else? Uh, then the third step would be to situate a passage within its context. And context has two parts. One is situating it in light of the historical context that uh, God's given uh, each passage within. And then um, the other part of context relates to reading a passage in light of its literary context or or its place where it is in a book, within the flow of that book. Um, Then moving on to step four, we want to recognize that each passage, which is part of a book, is also part of the whole Bible. So that's step four, a whole Bible that consists of two testaments that bear witness and find their center in Jesus Christ. So asking how a passage is fitting into the larger story of the Bible and how it's bearing witness to Jesus. Step five, you can kind of imagine through the hard work of study in steps two through four, you've now prepared a delicious meal, and now it's time to eat it. (laughs) So (laughs) step five is taking that time to really, uh, it's called savoring God, meeting with God through um, the the, what an ancient kind of phraseology of Lectio Divina, spiritual reading, meditating on God through the passage, praying with God through the passage, just contemplating who God is. And so it's a chance for you to really engage and worship God. Um, and then the final step is faithful response, pondering what it would look like to faithfully respond to what God's been saying to you through um, through the passage. Mm, okay. So um, that's not typically how to read the Bible um, for most people, right? So and in fact, I'll give you an example. I'm going to put you on the spot and have you evaluate my my reading of the scripture. I was 20 years old. Don and I were praying about what to do. Uh, we felt the Lord calling us to Buffalo, New York, to plant a church there among the urban poor. And the Lord used Acts 7-3, we would say, then, and say, where it says, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Now, it wasn't about Buffalo, New York. Um, wasn't about Ed and Donna Stetzer. But we looked at that passage and we said, well, maybe at that, at that time, I would have said the Lord really used that to nudge us. Mm-hmm. How are we using Scripture in that context, and what would be your about? I, I didn't tell you about this ahead of time. I didn't warn yeah, you. No. So what, what, what would you say to someone like me? I've read this passage. God spoke to me through this passage in this way. Yeah, well, well I think that for you and for many of us, we, we've had experiences like mm-hmm. that where we maybe are just fumbling along in the Scriptures <laughs> and not really knowing what we're doing, then boom, God speaks mm-hmm. to us. I, I think more than anything... It points to God's graciousness to to just speak to and meet with His people, and so I think it's important in any sort of academic study, or in, in this case of trying to write a guide for for more lay people in the church, is to recognize like we we want to have like a strategy for reading the Bible that aligns with the nature of the Bible itself. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do here is present a strategy for, for doing that, and that might be what we work towards and aim to. But that doesn't—God can't be put in a box, mm-hmm. right? God can speak to and meet His people uh, anywhere. And I think, you know, for instance, there's no guarantee that someone like me with, with a Ph.D. or even our students who graduate with 
um, you know, majoring in Bible and theology, there's no guarantee that their study, my study of Scripture or theirs, is automatically resulting in a closer knowledge of God Mm -hmm. than, say, someone who's never been able to receive a high school education in Mozambique. You know, God, as they come to the Word, God is meeting with people where they're at and speaking to them. So, so I think distinguishing between God kind of working with us where we're at, but then also recognizing nonetheless when you encounter people around the world who haven't had opportunities to kind of think along six steps like this, like, right. oh, this is so good, this is going to take things to a whole whole other level. So... Um, yeah, I'd be a little cautious yeah. too. Where even with like for me, I was twenty years old. Don and I were twenty years old, and um, I don't think that's a hell. I think Lord used it. I don't think that's a healthy way to consistently engage the Bible. You know, even in the sense of where I might throw open a page, say, "Lord, what do you have for me?" Yeah. So I do think studying. I do systematic reading. I mean, again, mm-hmm. for some people, that's the place they got to start. And that yeah. remember the what we're doing at Ed Stetzer Live is we're pointing towards that the next few weeks. So systematic reading may be where you need to begin. And if this is a brand new idea to you, start at the Gospel of John, keep reading to the back of the Bible, good place to start. But you're going to find stuff you want to know more about. But even so, I think there's a discipline, and this is what I really like about Savoring Scripture, a six-step guide to studying the Bible. Um, there's a discipline of study that I love to do now. I mean, I, it brings me joy. I learn new things. I love it. But for some people... It's a little bit scary. So let's break down the six steps. Let's go back to them. We just got a few minutes in this segment. So talk to me about why posture ultimately matters. Of course, you know, we could take that literally and mean, am I kneeling down when I read the Bible? (laughs) We can take that to mean a posture of reception or learning. Mm -hmm. Tell us about posture. Yeah, great. And yeah, so if you look at most books on how to read the Bible, at least that I come across in, in an academic setting, They'll almost they'll never never start with our posture before God, mm-hmm. um, and what I've become convinced of is, if the nature of the Bible is that it's God's word, and if we can't know God about apart from God's Spirit making Himself known to us, then we need to come desperate for our God to speak to us as we study. And uh, the idea here is Jesus in Matthew's Gospel has this just wonderful and also terrifying statement where he praises God saying, I praise you, Father, that you, it is your good pleasure to hide these things from the wise and learned and to make them known to little children. Hmm. And here, of course, in Jesus's time, there'd be people who know scripture front to back in terms of the Old Old Testament, but they weren't receiving that knowledge of God through their study that these, the, so that these little children, uh, a metaphor he was using. So I think the posture I kind of point people towards is what does it look like to have a childlikeness in our posture as we come um, before the Lord in study? And that can just be a, a simple prayer uh, for God to meet with us and speak to us uh, as we come to study His Word. Yeah, no, I, I like that posture. I like the importance of us, you know, walking in such a way that we're ready to receive. I think when I begin by reading the Bible, I want to do that. When I begin to study the Bible, I want to do that as well. So let's go to the second part, because 
This may be the part where where that Acts seven passage. Yeah, I clearly wasn't in the flow of <laughs> that, right? So I, yeah, I mean, I took that. I don't know if I'd say out of context, but certainly it's in the midst of a sermon. Uh, that sermon, Stephen's recalling history and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, so how does the flow matter? Because just to use the example of that Acts 7 passage, it's in the book of Acts, which is yep. the telling of the Acts of the Holy Spirit and the Apostles. It's Stephen before the Sanhedrin, and he's giving a sermon that deals with history. Yep. That's a lot of flow going on yes, right there. So yes. talk to us how flow matters. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think it begins with a conviction that when God inspired the human writers to write what they're writing, they weren't just writing a bunch of isolated words or or even verses, that, that these verses have a flow to them. So let me walk you through a passage. Please. Um, this is Christmas uh, time. And so um, Isaiah 11 is, is a really... You know, you're an Anglican, and well, it's not Christmas time, it's Advent it's in your Advent. world. Ooh, I, <laughs> I got that wrong. That, that's my... Um, I I'm happy. I'm not an Advent purist. It's Christmas time to me. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm a mix. I'm, there you go. I'm a mutt. Yeah. Um, so, you know, let me just tell you, because we're about to walk through this, but we've got about one minute in this segment. So start it, and when you, when you hear the music, then we'll continue on the other side. Okay, sounds good. So uh, Isaiah 11 it begins with this passage, and it says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So as we, this is a common image around Christmas time, but what happens when we read that verse in light of the verses that come after it and see how it's fitting into this great hope for a coming king? Good. We're going to talk more. Uh, we're having a fascinating conversation, but this is going to be great. We're going to talk some about the flow with Andy Abernathy, his new book, Savoring Scripture, A Six-Guide Step to Study the Bible. Stay with us. Hey, we're back at Setzer Live. Andy Abernathy, Dr. Andrew Abernathy, we'd say around here at Wheaton College. He's a professor at Wheaton College. We're talking about his new book, Savoring Scripture, A Six-Step Guide to Studying the Bible. He's got six steps. We've got, we talked about posture a minute ago. If you're just joining us, you can listen. As always, go to edstetzerlive.com. You can find the whole program there. Then we're into flow, and we're using the example. We're in Isaiah 11. Just pick back up, Andy. Yeah, so so this passage uh, starts with the image that some of you will be uh, familiar with, this vision of a shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. So this opening passage of this this beautiful image of a stump, which you don't think is going to bring any sort of life from it, has a shoot coming up from it. And it's from the stump of Jesse, which is David's kind of father. So there's this great hope for a future king from the line of David uh, here at the start. And and this is a verse that might uh, get read a a lot at Christmas time. But when we're looking at a flow of thought, we're saying, okay, well, let's read the verses that come after it, the, the, the verses that are part of this entire passage. And one of the tips I give is looking for subunits, that is looking from kind of one phase to the next phase of thought within uh, a passage. So what we find in the next verses, we we could maybe say the next uh, subunit goes on in verse 2 to talk about how this um, shoot from the stump of Jesse will have the Spirit of the Lord on him. It says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
So this next sort of verse helps clarify for us that this hoped-for shoot is going to be endowed with the, the Spirit of God in such a way that he is going to have incomparable wisdom and understanding. He's going to fear the Lord. And this is a king kind of in the guise of Solomon who had such wisdom. And this hope for king then is, uh, we see just simply from moving from verse 1 to verse 2, is one with the spirit of the Lord on him who gives him wisdom. But then we move on from the middle of verse 3, really all the way to the end of verse 5, we see what this endowment with the Spirit of the Lord and wisdom is enabling this future king from Jesse's stump to do. It says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Now, now this may sound a little bit strange uh, to us. Um, well, wouldn't you want to judge based on what you actually see and what you actually hear? But anybody who's been in the jury system know the prosecutors are often trying to put on a little show for you and and, uh, dissuade you. And and this is a um, vision here where this king is going to have such spirit-endowed wisdom that he's going to be able to make judgments that cut through any of the noise that would block him from seeing what the right and just decision would be. And it goes on in verse 4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And so the vision we see unfolding here, if we go back to the first subunit, is this hoped-for shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse will have a spirit of wisdom on him, and this will enable him to bring about the sort of justice and righteousness in our world that we could not even imagine in our day, as we see uh, various cases of how do you sift through and know exactly what would be right, especially here for those who are vulnerable, for the poor and the meek of the earth. And righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So within that flow of thought, then, the the hope is for a future king from the line of David with the Spirit of God on him, who's been endowed with wisdom in order to bring about justice and righteousness. And I I remember talking about this one day in, in class, among many other things, and a Sudanese refugee came up to me afterwards. This is when I taught at a school in Australia. And he said, he, his eyes came up to me full of just hope. And he says, that will be very nice. And I said, oh, um, you're going to need to help me out. What, what are you talking about? What will be very nice? He said, a king who will come and bring justice. Mm. And he was from South Sudan. And I said, oh, you know what it's like not to have justice, don't you? He goes, yes, I do. And he just smiled and walked away. Um, But you can just see how this, all of a sudden you grasp the flow of thought of this passage and your understanding of the hopes for a Messiah just expand. Then I'll go on. The final part of this passage now gives a vision for how the rule of this king of ju- and wisdom and justice will bring peace across the world. It, it leads to the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Mm. 
and it goes on just with these beautiful images of peace that are going to spring forth when we have this king from the stump of Jesse who will reign and bring justice and peace to all other things that's the, where it seems like there, it's impossible for there to be harmony between them. Our God will bring peace. And I have to think of you know, Russia and Ukraine. You think of the many different conflicts in this world where you're like, it will be impossible for, say, Palestinians and Israelis to live together or impossible for the North and South Sudan, North and South Korea. But, but imagine a time when a king will come who will bring this kind of harmony between um, wolves and lambs. Yeah, it's crazy. And one way, if you want to study, I just want to mention, because as you're going down these things, Andy's actually written uh, Discovering Isaiah, uh, God's Message in the Old Testament, Expectations of the Coming King. We'll link all these at edstetzerlive.com. Uh, uh, and you're, you're back to the book of Isaiah and God's Kingdom, a thematic theological approach. This comes out of your dissertation. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I love that this is an area where you're walking us through flow. And so yeah. getting the flow of the passage keeps you from, I mean, it forces you to avoid taking a verse out of its context, which is a... I mean, we even know that phrase, a very common thing. Yeah. Nobody wants personal to be taken out of context. Yes. God's Word is inspired, it's inerrant, it is, it is not intended for us to take it out of context, but because we love the Word and we love verses, sometimes we can take them out or miss their full flow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, of course, the, the the stem of Jesse's rod is actually, if people are singing at some point, all hail the power of Jesus' name, Christmas hymns, and more, I mean, you've heard this phrase, but there's a whole flow yes. that, that yes. needs to be considered. Yes. Yes. And that leads into context. That's so right. keep taking us down that road. And we love this passage because it's so great, because we're looking towards Christmas, right? Yeah. So take us into yeah. the context. A- absolutely. So when we once you've got a feel for the flow of your passage, th- then you ask yourself, okay, how, how does this fit within the historical context that, that we're dealing with at the time of Isaiah? And all of a sudden, once you start seeing, okay, this is a time when the Davidic kings in Judah were extremely, extremely corrupt. They were not, um, in Isaiah 1, for instance, it talks about how the judges are um, kind of lining their pockets with bribes and not even hearing the, um, the case of a widow and the orphan. Um, and that's a big thing that Isaiah is speaking against. And so when you kind of situate this sort of passage within that historical context, you start seeing, whoa, God is saying, in a sense, you kings right now who are so corrupt, guess what? You're going to become a stump. <laughs> We're going to cut things down here. And God's vision is to establish a king who's really going to embody what's missing at the time. Another thing uh, about context here is we see it's linked into God's use of another kingdom actually called Assyria. And Assyria was uh, a major empire that God was using who he would use to bring judgment on his people. But what we find is that... Isaiah hasn't left them simply with judgment. God is telling through uh, the prophet Isaiah that yes, judgment is going to come through Assyria against you, but there will be a time of renewal with the great Davidic king who's going to come after judgment. 
We're going to continue our conversation with Andy Abernathy and Isaiah Levin and Context in just a minute. Hey, we're back. It's Stetzer Live, talking to Andy Abernathy. His new book is Savoring Scripture, a six-step guide to studying the Bible. We are actually through three of them, posture, flow, context. We're, we're talking about context. We're going to talk in a minute about the whole Bible, how to savor God, and our faithful response. So just pick right back, Andy, where you were, talking about context. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So I've been mostly mentioning historical context, um, but the other angle is to say, well, where is this placed within its book? And I'll just note, uh, simply you could just read the verses right before it and how that flows into your passage um, that you're looking at. And, and in our case, in Isaiah 10, God is bringing a word against Assyria and is saying that he is going to ultimately bring Assyria down. And, and there's this uh, image of a tree being cut down in, in verse uh, 33. It says, the Lord of hosts will lop the, lop the bows with terrifying power, the great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low, and he will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. And notice how that such height and power and pride falling contrasts with a little shoot coming up from the stump. And you just see how this great hope is emerging in this Davidic king who will be a shoot rising from the stump after God brings his judgment and defeats his enemies. There's much more to say there, but right. we, we need we to, move to move on. Forward. But we've got posture, flow, context, which you, you have 3A and 3B, both yeah. historical and book, which you've touched on yeah. both. So, But there's more in study. Talk to us about whole Bible as the next step. Yeah, so, so there's this conviction that when God was inspiring all of the writers uh, to write, there was a longer view in mind with our Lord. It was that what would happen when Jesus would come in his first and then also his second coming. So we could pause and simply ask ourselves how what we're seeing in our passage aligns with what we see in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this passage, think of how many resonance we see with Jesus. He comes from the line of Jesse, and in fact, think about the stump that had been there from David's line after 586 with King Zedekiah being the last king in uh, Judah. There was no Davidic king until the time of Christ. And so we have from a stump that seemed dead, Jesus emerging, and the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, just as it says in this passage. We're told about Jesus' wisdom. We're told also about Jesus' ability to kind of see through situations and, and see what's just and right and, and promote that for the afflicted and the poor. And we see him bringing incredible harmony, which we see at the end of this passage, between Jew and Gentile, which was unimaginable at that time. But on the other hand, when we think about the whole Bible, we're like, there's a lot in this passage we're waiting to still be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. We're waiting for that full effect of the wolf lying down with the lamb. We're waiting for that full effect where although there are glimmers of our God bringing righteousness through the body of Christ today in the world, we're also recognizing 
that we await the coming of the King of Kings who will rule and reign with the rod from his mouth, which is from this passage in Revelation. So thinking whole Bible kind of invites us into this bigger story of how God is going to use a Davidic king to um, bring blessing to this world. Yeah, fascinating. And I think typically people would maybe end at that point, because, yeah. I mean, and that's good that you place it in the context of the whole Bible, right? All Scripture inspired by God we see in that context, but you actually take it further. So talk to us yeah. about the next step, step five. Yeah, step, step five is a step to say, you've done all the work, now it's time to enjoy God through this passage. Go back through verse by verse and pray to God. Let, let it lead you into pondering who God is and savoring who our Lord has revealed himself to be. Let it be a time, too, to pray, Lord, I don't see you right now with righteousness judging the poor. Or, God, I'm so... Um, just it's hard for me to think about justice and righteousness in this world because of all the debate around critical race theory. I can't even get there, Lord. Help me with this. You, you know, it's a chance to honestly go back through and, and pray. Or, or, Lord, I've lost this hope of, of how, Je- how Jesus is this sort of shoot that's come from a stump. Lord, renew that, refresh that in me. You know, so so it's a chance to pray honestly with God in, in light of the scriptures, or, or to ponder and praise Him for what He can do. Um, so so that's uh, the essence of step five, and um, is just taking time. I guess three ideas is to pray to God through it, to really meditate and chew on what a passage is saying, and see if there are any threads that are going to emerge for you. Uh, personally, and then just taking time to contemplate. That just means bask and sit in light of who God's showing himself to be through this passage. Okay, so, so and I like that. I like the additional step, because it's not just the... And this is part of the challenge. We, we both teach at this college. You know, you could just teach people to understand the Bible, even in the whole yeah. context of the Bible, and not for them to have known and and grow in their relationship yeah. with the Lord yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. On occasion, I'll I'll just pause, leave some time at the end of class. I'm like, I want you to sit and just savor our Lord, and then I want us to share with one another what you are just your heart is stirring towards as you're mm-hmm. considering our God through this passage. And students just absolutely find that life-giving. Now I want to take a class with you. I love that. Okay, so the again, six steps. Posture, flow, context, whole Bible, savor God, and step six, talk to us about faithful response. Yeah, faithful response. Um, So you might expect this title or this chapter to maybe be application, but sometimes... That's kind of what I assumed, actually. Sometimes (laughs) the word application... um, might give us a sense that, okay, we're going to read and try to understand what the Bible meant back then. Now we need to say, how does it apply today? And, and, and I think there's something to that. There, we, but what about the living God who is actually speaking to us right as we are reading the scriptures? What about our God who is speaking to us and may ask us to take some steps in terms of doing but he might also be calling for us to become or to see the world differently and shape us as people. And so 
This is a time to kind of chew on, okay, God, I want to listen. I need your Holy Spirit to connect these scripture with, with my real life and help me know what you are calling me towards through this passage and look to do that. So in this passage, again, I can't pretend to be God and what he may be saying, but but usually that's going to align with what the main uh, f- flow of this passage might be. But it may be something like God saying to you, Andy, I know that you're involved with some neighbors that are just having a terrible conflict with family right now. And you may be prompted to say, I want to give you hope. I believe in Jesus, who is this all-wise king that can unravel the most difficult conundrums and help wolves and lambs lie down together. Can I pray for you? Can I encourage you to turn to him? Or it may be you taking that on board in your own life. Um, it, it, it could kind of look in a certain way, like uh, as you're pondering Davidic king, a future Davidic king coming out of a shoot, you may be prodded to say, well, do our churches look like this? Look like a church that reflects the reality that their Messiah was one who is emerging out of a hopeless situation. Is their place at our churches for a sense that we are a church for the where the hopeless can find life in a shoot that's come up from the line of Jesse and the person of Jesus Christ? So these are the sorts of things we, again, that that the Lord may be prodding his people towards as they think of what does a faithful response look like to, in our case, we're looking at Isaiah 11, but any passage uh, to be inviting God to ponder us what a faithful response might look like in our lives. Fascinating conversation in and around Savoring Scripture, Six-Step Guide to Studying the Bible. And Andy, thank you so much for coming on the program. And and I loved how Isaiah 11 became our focus, looking towards Christmas. But again, this could be something we're studying different topics, different themes, and more. So I encourage you to pick up a copy of Savoring Scripture. It's brand new. Andy, Andy Abernathy is my colleague here at Wheaton College as well. And thank you, as always, for listening. Remember, we're kind of on a theme, talking about engaging Scripture. Next week, Josh Laxton and I will do that, encouraging men to begin devotional practices and devotional lives. Uh, then uh, at the end of the month, Trillia Newbell will be joining us to talk about beginning a reading plan for 2023 and beyond. Thanks as always to my team, Courtney Young, engineer, Karen Hendren, our producer. No one on the phones today, but we usually have great phone screeners as well. Remember, uh, Ed Setzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, which is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.